All right, what up, Brad fans? Thank you for tuning into this episode. I have a great conversation for you with the one, the only, Simon Landry, founder of FeatherPoster.com, the place where you can get 36-inch by 48-inch conference posters, or any poster, really, on printed on canvas so that it's easily fold-uppable, if that's a word, and you could put it in your bag, makes travel super easy. They don't crease, they look great. Uh, high quality fabric will display your graphics and figures in high resolution. Uh, and if you use the promo code to Brad, T-W-O-B-R-A-D, all one word, at checkout, you will get $10 off. And Simon founded this great company. Uh, check it out, featherposter.com. And he joined us to join me rather to talk a whole bunch of different topics we talked about his graduate work into perception uh, so some psychology some some brain biology really fun conversation about perception how we learn how the brain learns you know perception and that it's hand how you learn that your hand is actually your hand when you're a child really really just fun kind of wacky conversation about science and then from there we turn to issues with how we currently do science uh, in society so really academia you know um, we talked about uh, science the sciences and this the job of science and academia of alienating people we talked a lot about science communication how that is failing how do we incentivize communicating science for you know researchers in academia and stuff like that it was just like to be honest one of the funnest conversations i've had in a long time um simon's a really great guy uh super fun to talk to super passionate super um thoughtful and you can check out more of this stuff that he's doing he's doing a lot of cool things and he'll talk about it in the episode but you can go to dr simon landry um to check out more of what he's doing uh, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm going to cut this off right now um, because it's just, I had such a blast talking to him and I hope that you all enjoy it too. So bring us in, Freak Motif. Uh, from there, it's on to my conversation with Simon Landry. Well, thanks a lot, Simon, for for joining us, and thanks for I guess originally reaching out to uh, to promote Feather Poster on the show. You were the very first person to sort of reach out to the podcast and and get in touch. Well, so thanks for that. Likewise, you were the first to uh, reply to my emails, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, let's. I think it's let's start. Yeah. From the beginning, a logical, a logical starting point. We're both a couple of guys just that did graduate. Couple school. of guys, just chat, <laughs> chatting on a Saturday. <laughs> couple of guys who did graduate school and then left academia mm -hmm. to pursue other things. You're now into podcasting. I'm into yeah. podcasting. We're podcasting together. Mm -hmm. 
what a lovely what a lovely story but why don't you maybe like yeah fill us in on like sort of what was your journey through graduate school what did yeah. you where you, where are you from? Where did you start? I know you're Acadian, yeah. correct? Yeah, exactly. I'm oh, Acadian. So we can touch on that, yeah. too. Some of the listeners outside of Canada, some of the listeners inside of Canada might not be familiar with that either. I would love to turn this into just an Acadian podcast for just a Too Bad For You <laughs> Acadian, Acadian special. Um, we'll see if we have time. So yeah. uh, I, I'm from uh, Moncton, New Brunswick. And I did, I, so I did my undergrad in psychology at uh, Bishop's University. I don't know. Do you know Bishop's? Yeah, in Quebec, yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's a small yeah. liberal arts school. Um, and so I never, I never knew how to study. Like, did you, did you ever learn how to study? Not yeah. really. Yeah. And truth be told, I was uh, I was the kind of guy that young, like in my younger days, didn't really have to yeah. study. So when it mm-hmm. came actually to like undergrad and then going on further, I got a real shock. Yeah, yeah. Like my first semester of like real university school, grades plummeted, and I had to be like, I need to figure something out. Exactly. Here. So I similar like I'm the same. Only I never kind of really figured it out, um, <laughs> and so. Like at the end of my undergrad, I I didn't do as well as probably I should have, um, but I because it was a small school, I had a really good relationship with one of my profs, and so I I studied um, uh, psychology, which is like the program that people who don't know what they're doing go into. <laughs> uh, yeah, classic, cla- just classic move, and so I had this one class, a sensation and perception class with this guy, mm-hmm. Benoit Bacon, shout out. I always shout out to Benoit Bacon because he really, like, I am where I am in life because of him. Nice. And um, so he taught perception and sensation and perception. And, and I was like, what? This is a thing that you can, like, you can study this? Like, this is, <laughs> it's a thing. And so I, I, I sort of studied, uh, I did a neuroscience minor, which at Bishop's is just like, intro to sciences so i did like chemistry and biology and all those other uh, classes and then when i graduated i had like a b minus so really not i mean it's not great it's it's not bad (laughs) uh, but it's also not great um and i was sending emails back and forth to this guy benoit bacon and at some point he was like i had my old um what's the supervisor is looking for a student Mm -hmm. and you're the kind of student that he takes like kind of the 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 kind of student that has like that's clever but just doesn't have the structure to like do something with (laughs) with you you're a you're a unshapen ball of exactly like a super lumpy (laughs) ball of clay um and this guy Jean-Paul Guimot his thing was he would take students who who kind of like wayward students or just a bunch of balls of clay and just kind of shape them into researchers. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did my master's with him and I did like a, um, a pre-summer or a pre-master's like summer thing with him just so he could, we could try each other out. And it was with rats. So I was studying um, single cell activation um with sound was it sound and vision or just like auditory stimulus stimulus some kind of stimulus and turns out animals studying animals is like really 
hard. More, it's it's just like not a fun time. Um, and so I just didn't like it. It's just like yeah, it's tough. Um, but one of this guy Jean Paul's previous students just started teaching. Um, well, was a prof, and he was looking for a student. And so. <laughs> Jean-Paul was like, why don't you do your master's with this guy, Francois, and we'll co-supervise you, yeah. and then you can do it with humans. And so for Francois, it was an opportunity to sort of learn how to be a supervisor, and for me, it was an opportunity to, to be a student. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'd, during my master's, I had studied um, how sound and touch um, mix in the brain of people with uh, cochlear implants. Okay, yeah. so these are the, the usually in children, yeah. they have, so I don't know why they have the implant, but they they lose their hearing, yeah, basically. so they'd lose their hearing, and then you could kind of, um, I'm not going to get too, I, I can like, you know how it is with science, you can just be like, okay, yeah. let me get into the details. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. So basically, like, the idea is, and, and I love asking this, because everybody's got like a, a different take on it, but, so if you were to go deaf right now. Mm-hmm. Like your brain would 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 adapt to that, right? Right. And yeah. so you've got regions of your brain that that would no longer receive input. So your brain right. would do something, stuff would change, like brain plasticity. Um, but if you regain the ability to hear, what happens to your brain? Mm. Like does your brain right. does your brain go, oh here's here's sound like, I remember what to do with this. I'll just reactivate my pathways. Or does it go like, I forgot. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Yeah, I think the intuitive thing would be that those regions that were, that were like, say, dormant mm-hmm. would just come back online. But knowing what I know, which is very little mm-hmm. about the brain from my wife, Teresa, also a neuroscientist, I'm guessing that it does something crazy, like it, to- it, it develops totally new pathways. Yeah, so it depends. <laughs> like inside, oh, really? inside you so are, it's even more. Yeah, you are. Vague. You are right in both ways. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, turns out, like, so more specifically, what I studied was, so, if you think of our sensory experience as like our brain mixing all of our senses. So right now we're talking and we're, we're Skyping at the same time. I see your face and I also hear your voice. My brain mm-hmm. mixes visual and auditory inputs to like form this concept of Brad speaking. Right, right. Um, that integration is automatic. It's not like I'm not saying like, oh, okay, that when his mouth goes this way, it, it means like, oh, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. So when you lose sound, there's a decoupling, right? Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and then when you regain sound through this this like electrode that's in your ear, then it's the question is like does it recouple or does it kind of stay parallel and and the thing that's interesting with that is that means somebody who has a cochlear implant that would go see um uh a dubbed movie. Right. So when there's a dubbed movie, sound and vision are just totally off, right? Right. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. need to be able to decouple sound and vision. But right. if your brain with these cochlear implants or whatever, like 
when you get sound back, it really just tightly connects them again, then you're mm-hmm. unable to decouple it the way that like people who are kind of skilled with sound and vision are able to. Ah. So it just becomes a super overwhelming experience where nothing makes sense. So the folks then that, yeah, that have lost their hearing and then regained it through the use of an implant yeah. have trouble with, say, like a dubbed movie. Yeah, some of them do. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. So, yeah, it's just like that's that's what I studied for my master's mm-hmm. a little bit during uh, the PhD. Because after my master's, I was like, okay, cool, two years of doing this, had a lot of fun. Um, what now? And then yeah. my supervisor was like, well, I can take you on for a PhD like you I published a whole bunch during my master's. You have a pretty yeah. good shot at getting uh, like a CIHR or, or whatever. So yeah. if you want, we can do that and just keep on doing research together and it should go well. Um, and at the time, I was starting this this app called GraphMap uh, okay. to, to find and, what was it, share and discover street art around the world. It's like a... This is oh, like cool. 2012. Um, so it was like Instagram and Google Maps for street art. Um, Neat. And I want, I was like, oh, do I stay in grad school or do I, do I just like go off and try to do this thing? Um, but I ended up staying in grad school. Yeah. <laughs> so the app is no more. No, the app is no more. It, it, I did a successful Kickstarter though. So like it, it oh, existed nice. for a while. Um, yeah, and then during the PhD, I just did a bunch of research. I studied how sound and touch uh, integrate in the brains of musicians. Oh, yeah, cool. and I did, like, I was really big into perception. So just, like, uh, I had the opportunity to, to just test these weird sort of notions of perception, like what happens. So, like, okay, here's another question for you. All right, let it rip. If... If you were to go blind right now, okay, oh, before that, um, let's work with the assumption that blind people like hear better, right? Like, right. That's like kind of like though, I don't know if it's a myth or not, but that's what people say. You lose your sight, your, your other ones are going to become more enhanced or something. Exactly. Right? And like we've seen Daredevil, like there's kind of this yeah. pop yeah. <laughs> culture notion around it. And there's a little bit yeah. of research that says like, that suggests that that's the case for certain things. Um, but if you were to go blind right now, mm-hmm. at which point would you be a blind person? Hmm. You know, like like how long does it take yeah. for like your other senses to do all the things that we associate with blind people? Yeah, right? exactly. Oh, I mean, I feel like it's got to be like at least like a month or a couple months or something. Yeah, but. I see. I I don't know, and we don't know that. So it's like it's a it's a thing that we don't know. But what we did. So one of my like fun studies is we blindfolded people for ninety minutes, mm-hmm. and after ninety minutes, they had increased auditory abilities in this one specific thing. Ah. Yeah. So like. So you give them a baseline test, yeah. and then blindfold them, and then repeat the test, and yeah. and generally they they're better. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Which also doesn't surprise me because, like, you hear, like, the the brain plasticity mm-hmm. is just something that is so, you you know, I've seen work with putting, you know, implants and stuff and, you know, when they have to, you know, monkeys or rats or whatever, you can give them, like, a robotic arm mm-hmm. or, a, mm-hmm. like, a mouse pointer on a screen to control and they learn to, like, use it and integrate it into their 
their brain, you know, as like yeah. an extra sense really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, so fascinating. So like that that study in particular, the thing that we found that I thought was really neat, and it's like, that's what I love about research, man. Is is when you like you're just so deep in a topic and you're thinking yeah. about it all the time, and you're like, wait maybe we're just thinking about it wrong. And then you like yeah, yeah, yeah. change your, your, your perspective on it. And you're like, what that, like, if that's true, then that's true. And it just like all these yeah. other things line. So like the idea with this, um, visual deprivation study is that when we're born, like the brain, so our brains are, are good. And they're like wired the same when we're born, everybody's wired the, the same sort of more or less yeah generally yeah yeah. but the brain doesn't know that the the occipital cortex let's say is good at processing visual information Hmm. it doesn't know that that part of the brain in terms of like hardware is well suited to process information that comes from the eyes versus information that comes from the ears okay and so it's just when you're born your visual cortex receives everything. So, ah. and so everybody's, um, semesthesic, um, what's the word for like seeing sounds? Oh, uh, synesthesia. Yeah, yeah. 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 So everybody's synesthetic when we're born because our brain is just like, I don't know what to do with this. Just like overload of stimuli yeah. and it's got us sorted into the right yeah. pathways or whatever. Yeah. So oh, it, wow. it like, it sorts it, but what it does is that it'll take sound and, and vision, let's say, that goes to the visual or the occipital cortex. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like, I'm really good at processing this. I'm not so good at processing that. So I'm going to start taking more of the vision. Mm-hmm. And like because that pipeline's getting bigger, the other pipeline's getting smaller. Right. So right, that pathway right. still exists and like, it's still there, but it's just used a lot less. Right. And so that means that when you cut out vision, the auditory input is still kind of trickling in. It has more like space. More bandwidth yeah, or whatever exactly. you want to call it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so it just kind of goes there and like our visual cortex is not good at processing things with like temporal cues, like, like sound. But it still does cool stuff with it and it can still process it in a, in a cool way. So that's why you have like your better processing of sound in certain ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's just that you turn, you sort of shut off a certain tube and then you've got information coming in from the other tube. Yeah. But the thing with that, it's, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on from this because this could turn into just a perception <laughs> uh, podcast. Um, <laughs> The thing with that that I find is really interesting is like in terms of perception of the brain and all that, if you have that flexibility of, of like what the accepting that the brain can be flexible, it means that mm-hmm. you shouldn't be surprised when you find auditory or tactile activation in the visual cortex. Right. Because like it's only surprising because we, it's like we, conceived the brain the same way that we conceive a thing that a human would make like right. the bathroom is for where you shower and go to the bathroom the same way yeah. the auditory cortex is where addition is processed but right. nature's not like that yeah 
And so like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's all good. It's all good. I'm just saying, yeah, it's, I didn't know that. It kind of makes you realize like when you're like watching a, a like a young kid, you know, see the world and stuff for the like they just like like they look so overwhelmed mm-hmm. a lot of times mm-hmm. okay so that makes sense now but it's also like so you the this like baseline state of the brain the child's brain yeah. when it comes out it needs to it's like you got to train the the algorithm to know yeah. like okay this information is best suited for this yeah region and then it sorts it all out so you have these different compartments um that are sort of built to be better at one thing than the other but you as the user have to give it the information to to sort of so that it realizes that exactly there is like a blueprint that's kind of there in all of us yeah 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 and and like the thing kind of moving uh related to what you're saying about babies like i think fundamentally we take a lot of what we experience for granted so like the fact that you see a hand and you know it's yours and you feel stuff from that hand is so basic, right? It's like, obviously, this is my hand that I'm looking at in front of me. But you had to learn that when you move a thing, you see a thing moving and you feel something. Those are things, those are associations that you learned. Yeah. Like a baby sees a hand. It doesn't know that the thing that it's moving is also the thing it's seeing is also the thing it's feeling. (laughs) <laughs> that is wild yeah. to think about like if you were if you were able to remember that right because yeah. like, you don't remember what it's like to be a baby but if you were able to remember that there would be a period of your life where you'd be look back and be like yeah i remember seeing my hand and being like what the hell is that yeah yeah like who's and then who's touching this? something and being like what is this yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the, the cool thing about like breaking down perception is that way that it it allows you to dream about the future of VR in a really cool way. Mm-hmm. So like okay. if you're in VR and you see a hand, it's no different than when I see my hand in real life. Like there's actually no difference. Right. It's just like, cause you're, cause you're able to make that association. Cause yeah. you've learned that like, and your bet your brain's better able to like not get confused by the difference in the, well, it's like, if scenario i guess i don't know it's like if you're in vr and you see a hand and when you move when you make a movement you see a hand moving whether it's your real hand in real life or it's a virtual hand your brain is like it's a hand that's moving it's mine right 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 yeah that makes sense and this kind of goes to like i'm sure i've talked about it on this podcast before ages ago but I, like, and then I kind of just alluded to, there was these, this research. I watched this guy give a talk once. He's Brazilian. I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember his name now. But he was doing these kind of things with, you know, monkeys, animals. That's how you start. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, giving them basically a robotic hand mm-hmm. or something to control. And the brain is so quickly able to be like, oh, well, this is just my sixth limb now or whatever <laughs> it is. You know, yeah. like I got f- four, four limbs and a tail so give me something else and i'll just incorporate it just incorporates it into your that's really cool but it's like you had to figure that out as a child yeah (laughs) which is wild yeah exactly (laughs) and and so like something that i if i had a research lab i would and we'll get to why 
why we neither one of us has a research lab a yeah, bit yeah. later. Um, but something that I think would be super cool and just co- actually completely new is I would love to make a VR setup where you would have like a, a little EEG cap or something like a Muse mm-hmm. or whatever. And it would pick up, there's, there's a thing like called time travel where you think about something in the past or something in, in the future. Um, and there are, are some EEG markers for thinking about the, the past or thinking about the future. And so you can like, ah, so you can, you can pinpoint when yeah. the person's thinking about past or future yeah. events based on the cap. Readings. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I would love to have a VR program where it would let somebody move through space, but also through time. Ah. And it would so that would mean that the same way that like the monkey learns how to use a fifth arm, we yeah. we would use our brains to move through the fourth dimension in a way <laughs> but in a way that evolutionarily like it makes no sense. Like we're just not built to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder what but, part of the brain would be like, Oh, I got this, like I'm here for, for like th- the ability to move through time. Yeah, 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 yeah. What region would like come online yeah. or be you know, you know what regions would start working together yeah. or something like that? Yeah. I mean the logistics of that sound doable. Yeah, it's super right? like it's super simple. That's the thing. But wouldn't you have to like the VR program would then yeah. have to be set up to know like you would have to be able to recognize, okay, I'm in the past now, I'm in the future. Yeah. So you'd kind of have to have like the person's memories. I'm, for them to go back to I'm, or I'm something? Like, more, how would you set up that past yeah, future scenario? It, we, we're getting into the weeds here, but yeah, like, yeah. it's so, cool. So it would be like there's there there are games that exist that do that already, but it would be like, I don't know, super basic. You'd have like a kitchen, a virtual kitchen, and a person that's also there. And then mm-hmm. like you could throw a cup on the ground, and then the person w- would react to the cup being thrown on the ground. But then you could move back in time not throw the cup on the ground or like, and then Uh. the person would react differently. Like it's just basically an AI, like a, an, a character that reacts to stuff that you're doing. Right. And you could almost like those old, this might be really dating myself, (laughs) but you know, those, uh, those old choose your own adventure books. Did you ever read those? Yeah. 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 And so there's like certain points where it's like, you can choose a or B and then if you didn't like the outcome, you'd just flip back to the page and be like, exactly. well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the other route. So do that in kind of a virtual reality space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Dude, that's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it's stuff like that that I think is, like scientists need to, once you start thinking about these fundamental concepts of the brain and like just how how just break things apart and then try to rebuild it together and be like, what can we make with this? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah well in like the vast potential of the brain you know mm-hmm. like everyone's mm-hmm. and like you said how it's like we think about it as it's built as if it were built by a human yeah. and that's somehow that's a limiting way to look at it yeah absolutely because it's not built by a human yeah so yeah and that so that ties into last week's podcast that right that so there i got let me just pull up my notes here the one you're talking about the one that uh Teresa and i did yeah the last one we released on two grad for you here so we're talking we were talking about yeah some of these things how the brain 
synchronizes in bats, I believe, with, um, uh, when they're socializing. But. Yeah, yeah. So the, the thing that I thought really interesting about that is that, like, to find it surprising and to discuss about human brains synchronizing makes this basic assumption that we're individuals. Right. And that we're not connected. Right. Like, I don't know if, if, if kind of the, the fundamental assumption, if I'm making that clear, like that you, I don't know how to describe this. Like, so I used to listen to a lot of Alan Watts. Okay. And he's this philosopher guy from the seventies that was like kind of, he brought Buddhism and all that to, to the States. And his thing is that everything is, you know, everything's connected and all that. And it's like, if you take a surface, if you take your finger on a surface and you look at it, then it's like clearly finger and surface. But the more you zoom in, the more you're unable to tell the difference, right? Right. When you get to the molecular level, the atom level, it's just atoms. Yeah. Yeah. So like things just our perception like things are only defined because of our perception right and so humans the same way like are only individual because that's like the way we experience it and it's like weird for me to think that you and i are connected the way that a colony of ants are connected because exactly i have thoughts those ants don't have thoughts yeah 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 and so i can tell i have a boundary of like myself and others and yeah yeah but so you're thinking like this idea, this whole idea of how what they found with the bats that when two are engaged in, you know, social behavior or whatever. So they're like interacting with each other. Their brains are basically clicking at the same, the exact same frequency. Yeah. Kind of shows that we're the boundary between two individuals is not as great as we perceive it to be. Yes. The same way. Yeah. Now I remember what my little notes didn't really make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> Convey. But it like, so... Because you were talking about mirror neurons also. Right, yeah. And how, like, on that, yeah. kind of, like, sort of a social contagion of I feel something, you feel something. But if we go back to how, what we were talking about, like, I learned that my hand is my hand. Mm-hmm. Then it makes sense that if I see another hand, that would also activate some part of my brain. Because, like, why not? Like, right. my hand is only my hand because it's integrated with my, with, like, touch and motor but i see another hand part of me back in the day when i was born i probably thought that other hands were mine too because why not (laughs) you know right yeah 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 wow so do you think then it's like this idea well i mean the synchronization thing Mm -hmm. like and this is what Teresa and i were kind of talking about is it's sort of um and you know maybe i didn't grasp this enough but i was trying to be like like, what's the significance of it or why does that evolve Mm -hmm. does it evolve to allow uh, social creatures to interact but then you think about it in this way maybe it's kind of just a byproduct also of like i had to learn that my hand was my hand and that these are my things so you then logically probably are like well other people had to learn that their hands were their hands and so they've gone through the same process yeah so you kind of have this remnant of like, when I see them doing something, it's like, yeah, I've done that before too. Yeah. So I know what it like. I know what it's like. Yeah. I know what you're going through, man. Yeah. Trying yeah. to figure out what ha- whose hand is whose. 
Yeah, exactly. So there's like a built-in way for it. But then, you know, evolution acts on different things, and maybe that's... There's a lot going on there, dude. There's a lot going on. There's a lot, yeah. It's the sort of thing where, like, every layer that you think about, there are just so many things to unpack. Yeah. And it's like... And I think that's... To bring it to science, like, that's a huge problem with the way that we do science is that every level to like get kind of to get to that point where just in that conversation i feel like we were really close to getting to a point where it was like whoa you know yeah (laughs) but but like in order to get to that point you need to keep all these things in your head that like leads you to that like insight and that's just so hard because there are all these things that like you need to test and all these things that you need to like know for sure almost in order Mm -hmm. to be able to say oh we aren't so different yeah yeah exactly it's super specific you have to you like you can have this conversation and we can you know hypothetically get to somewhere but then to go back and like verify each step and test each step it loses you lose you to tie all the strands together you start to lose this bigger picture that you're you're looking at yeah and every step is like somebody's career somebody could spend and 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 that's why i i think it's one of the weaknesses of science and one of the strengths of like philosophy and all that where Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff so this guy alan watts Shout out to to my man Alan Watts. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> yeah, from from beyond. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We broadcast there. No <laughs> worries. <laughs> um, so a lot of stuff that he says, and nothing really comes to mind, but like he says things that they're very vague, obviously because he's not a scientist. But like they're very vague, but they line up perfectly with like the latest nature article mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. the stuff that we find is like yeah it works with these like old buddhist frameworks of like understanding the self and sort of mm-hmm. relationships and all that and i found that super interesting mm-hmm. that like science finds truths and all that but at the end of the day like it's it it's it's all these details that lose the bigger picture right it's almost like you science is really good at lighting the pathway that you're walking on yeah but it's not good at telling you which pathway you should walk down right right if that makes sense yeah you know what i mean whereas something like philosophy and i think that that's always like that was always the really interesting parts again for me too like in with science was these you know this idea that you're at the tip of the spear that there is some unknown Mm -hmm. and you're you know forging into it and generating knowledge but then there's like these larger like you say larger discussions yeah where it's like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Where should we look next? Yeah. And, and the direction of that, a lot of times, especially when you're talking about things like psychology and human psychology, it yeah. would be directed by philosophy or even like really ancient, you know, probably, I guess you could consider these some sort of philosophy, but in some cases, ancient religious texts like Buddhism or yeah, something yeah. like this, you know, where it's like it, people were thinking about these ideas they're age-old ideas they're age-old questions but you now have the methods to actually verify some of Mm -hmm. that so with a question for now for that i'm thinking of though is like how do you you're you know I, i we recognize the problem that in science you get too nuanced 
and yeah. you spend a whole career looking at one region of the brain or one mm -hmm. cell or mm -hmm. whatever it is, right, that you lose that bigger picture. But you kind of, you have to, we have to have the, the verification process. You know, you, we don't want to just go on false assumptions. So mm -hmm. you need that verification yeah. process. And so how do you, how do you blend those two? You know, how do you not lose sight of the big while still not missing the little steps along the way, right? I think that the easiest way to do that is to realize that science is not something done exclusively by scientists. Makes sense. When you, when you realize that like science is a process and it's not like because you're a scientist that science, like it's not linear that way and, and you realize that I'm going to test something and then I, part of the scientific process is to have to communicate that and to distribute mm -hmm. that knowledge. And then like that knowledge needs to have an impact on society. And then society then returns to me with sort of feedback on that knowledge. And I will right. react to to like sort of another question that comes from, from that loop. And then it, it forces you to, to understand the bigger picture. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you need, yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense to me. It's a tough okay. one. It, it's cool that it makes sense to you because it's a really tough one. I, I think the majority of, of like hardcore scientists would disagree with that. Yeah, could be. But I mean, I look at it like, let's go back to the example of the kid figuring out that mm -hmm. his hand is his hand. Mm -hmm. To me, that's science, right? Like you're doing that every day because yeah, you're yeah. like, you, he's probably going, he or she is probably going through the, the process of, I, I've observed something, yeah. this hand. Yeah. I have an idea that maybe I'm in control of that. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I if I move it, it does this. If I, you know, like, and then you're you're testing that hypothesis and then moving on and integrating it. So it's all these things, you know. And I've often tried to explain this to people as well, just that how much you do science in everyday life, how yeah. much like everything, you know. And especially my examples usually come back to kids, right? You learn that the stove is hot. How did you learn that? You touched it. Yeah, you yeah. had, you didn't, you know, you experienced that. And then it's like, well, I touched it again and it's hot again. So now you've confirmed the hypothesis and you're just going through the method. So it's almost like this, like science, the scientific method is just innately yeah. human or innately like something that we do. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, like, yeah. So then where do we direct that power uh -huh. or that thing? And it's, it's in your whole life. So you can't separate it from life you can't separate it from society you can't separate it from yeah because it's just the way things are it's how we figure things out for sure for sure and and it's it's really unfortunate i think that um that like it's really unfortunate that scientists are are can we can i say sort of bad words on this podcast i, oh, I think you, you say whatever you want don't worry it's, about it we have no filter here cool um i think it's really unfortunate that scientists uh were really shitty people and yeah. are generally really terrible at being inclusive mm. and are mm -hmm. perceived probably rightly so in a lot of ways as being in their ivory tower and like 
science is not what you describe. Like you could ask people um, on the street, like who does science? And then you could show this like crusty old man, this mm-hmm. old white guy or a baby. And they all say like, well, it's the like the Einstein looking guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, no. And it's like, it's really too bad that scientists are just so, so fucking into themselves <laughs> <laughs> and like gatekeeping this method of understanding the world in a way that it's alienated everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I um, wonder how much of this comes though too, because in order to, and maybe this, this bring, brings on a discussion of like how we do science and how it's like organized, but mm-hmm. in the way that it's organized now, I'm, or now I'm getting lost in my own thought here, but yeah, yeah. in order to be really good at, you know cataloging all of the minutia and the details that you need in order to gain this knowledge to do the knowledge right like to do the lab work to keep it all organized to make sure that you've you know checked everything and that yet your hypothesis holds true that data collection that whole process that whole skill of doing that which Mm -hmm. you need Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that the 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 knowledge you're generating is true right attracts a certain kind of person yes right and those people generally aren't skilled at the other side of it which is kind of where what we're talking about right and see this in my personal experience in my life i always enjoyed science and i've always held these ideas that you know we're all doing science all the time and it's really great but when i got to grad school that's when i realized i'm not good at keeping all the data straight and you know, I don't want to be that guy that's like meticulously keeping a lab book and the notes yeah. and everything that's needed in order to do sort of good research. We won't call it science. Let's just say yeah. good research. Yeah, good. I like right. That. Um, and so I was like, well, this isn't for, you know, this isn't my skill set. I love the other stuff. I love what we're doing now. Yeah, I love yeah. talking about it. I love reading about it and stuff. But then so how do you, you know, do is it should it be part of the training of scientists to like, maybe do philosophy courses Mm -hmm. or, you know, do more, you know, but then it comes to the incentives that you've built in, into doing science in order to get the grants in order for the university to get the money, blah, 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 all this. We want data. We want results. We want boom, boom, boom. I don't know. I think it's like, it's a really weak excuse to, I, I think that we excuse scientists for their like, social I, like what's the word i'm looking for weirdness deficits, deficits. <laughs> um but the reality is like man it's not that fucking hard to be a normal person <laughs> <laughs> you, you say that but i don't know no, but, some people no, but, struggle but like some people struggle but it's only like you can uh, you can learn to be um a rigorous scientist it's a thing that you can learn and it's a skill and like you might not like it but if i told you hey man this is like you have a job and that job is to be a rigorous scientist Mm -hmm. i am a rigorous scientist i will train you how to be a rigorous scientist right it's a learnable skill yeah it's a learnable skill social interaction is really simple 
And it's like, it's not easy, but it's simple. Right. And I think yeah. it's completely unacceptable that we have these scientists that are like, that literally sexually assault people because mm -hmm. they don't understand social cues. Like, man, fuck that. Like, that's yeah. so unacceptable. And they're like, no, but this, this guy's like, uh, he's really good at science. Fucking who cares, man? Yeah, like, yeah. If he can learn how to spend, and I, I am using the he like nonstop consciously here. <laughs> well, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> usually a he. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's very much usually he. If, this guy can spend a lifetime doing studying something. He can spend time studying how to be a fucking decent human being. Right. And like, and then it just perpetuates like shitty people go with shitty people. And he, this guy won't be a good mentor. And it just like perpetuates this shittiness in science. Mm -hmm. And we're okay with that because they're like, no, no, they're in their, their lab. Like they're doing their own thing. Scientists, are always portrayed in media in like this way. And it's like, it sucks because it just perpetuates. It messes it up, honestly, for the both of us. Yeah, we're like, totally. we're the outsiders being like, yeah, we can do rigorous science and we like chatting and we like meeting people and, and all that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, those, those guys aren't real scientists. Like they're not. Yeah. Wasting their time trying to explain yeah. this stuff to the public or wasting their time yeah. on YouTube or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and I think, then, yeah, it's anyway. No, no, no. If you want to continue, it's just, but. it's, I was just going to say it's completely unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, no. And I see what you're saying, but, I, yeah. and, and it makes sense. You're right. It's, it's, it's not acceptable. And that, and it is an excuse that gets thrown out there. It's like, oh, well, these guys are these eccentric geniuses or whatever. Mm. So we kind of have to just cut them some slack. But I wonder how much too it is like, I mean, you always, you hear about the bad, you don't, you know, you don't hear so much about yeah. the good, right? Yeah. And in a lot of cases, not just science, this, unfortunately, you know, the systems that we have, ruthless people get ahead, mm -hmm. you know? So there's that, like, it's not just a problem in science. And how much of it is that it's like, we've rewarded one thing, yeah. you know, productivity or whatever it is too much that we've created, yeah, now this situation where that's, we've got all these people who were able to play that game and it's a shitty game and they're shitty people. Yeah. And how much, you know, and the people that are good, because I mean, in my experience, and I mean, it's going to be, everyone's experience is going to be different, but in my experience, like my graduate supervisors are like, the, you know, they're not those people. They're not mm -hmm. those scientists. You know, mm -hmm. I, there was definitely people I knew who had different experiences with different supervisors and... Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it is a problem. It does exist, but they're not all like that. For sure. So is it a matter then of like changing the incentives, right? And then how do you, but then how do you measure, how do you, how do you measure like the goodness of a person and put that into their job performance rate? You, if you, if you know what I mean? What do you mean by the incentives? Like... If we need, if we have a system where it's like we only have so much research dollars or whatever right. it is to go around, mm -hmm. we have to allocate them somewhere. What, what in, like, what do we want to incentivize? Who's going to get that money? Is it the person that has just all the best results, all the best, uh, you know, publishes so much, or do we want to try and, you know, broaden that and say, well, it's, it's someone who's a great mentor. It's someone who's not a shitty person. It's you know, that's 
a metric that we have to design into the bake into the system. Yeah. But it's it seems like, and maybe this is a cop out again, that that would be hard to do. I think that a really simple way to do that is if. Okay, so I guess like let's move back, and we're so we're talking essentially about. Um, federal funding for research yeah yeah but i mean it could be any industry right like it's right. you know whether it's a company like the bottom line right. is sales or you know whatever it is right it, but let's I, stick with the science that's what yeah, we're doing yeah because i think science is is really unique in that unlike corporations and unlike everything else i give you the money before you produce anything and everybody like Everybody knows that when you write a research proposal, the thing you write is not always what you what you produce. It's yeah, it like, changes. It changes, and you write it knowing that it will change. But you write right. something that will get you money, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that's that like that system of here's money and then you produce means that you don't. It's no. You're not accountable. You're not accountable, and there's literally no other. S- process except like government where i give you money and then i'm like oh you'll give me the thing that you said you were going to deliver later right and it's Mm -hmm. like yeah yeah, don't worry i got it you'll you'll get it and it's like i'm not gonna there's nothing else like you don't (laughs) nothing else works that way yeah Um, i guess even startup businesses and stuff you're delivering the product that you said you're going to deliver like it's not this nebulous thing where it's like exactly it can change but it but in science it has to be loose right like you have to be able to go where the information takes you right yes yes you can't go in with the the pre-assumptions and then fit your data to that so i'm talking more specifically like i've written grants where writing it and and like i I would be, I would eat my hat if I was the only person that did this. <laughs> I've written grants where I had data and I wrote a grant for a project that I knew I wasn't going to do, but I knew right. would give me the grant. Right, right. Because right. I just had the data. And it's like, that's what people do. And then they're like, oh, we tried this thing. It didn't work out. Yeah, because you weren't ever going to do it. And you had like another plan. This was to get money. Right. So I think like, a, a really simple and easy way to weed out shitty people from getting millions of dollars mm-hmm. would be assemble 12 regular quote unquote regular Canadians, like a jury system, basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. since they're paying, it's their money basically that's funding the research. Like right. it's tax dollar money, right? Get 12 people and get scientists to give them a pitch of so what and who cares. Right. Right. And like if if you cannot convince the person who is paying you to do your research that your research is worth it, if like your life's if you're unable to communicate your life's work yeah. to somebody, you've got a problem, man. Right. Like right. come on. And then this opens up to the idea that there's like that being able to communicate that is a skill within itself. Yes. And that there should be 
more people focus on that, like more people that can bridge that gap, right? Because I don't think it's necessarily, I mean, yeah, maybe this is what we're trying to do is we're trying to build, like, you know, engineer it so that the people that can do both are, are the ones getting the money. But it could yeah. also be that there's a whole another section of people that are working with the people who aren't as good at it to help them become good yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah. Learn it. Like you've learned, if there's a new research technique that comes out that's completely new, like optogenetics, when that came out, people didn't know to light neurons to do stuff. They learned yeah. it. You can yeah. learn how to pitch. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you can learn how to think about yeah. you know, what it is, you know, get out of your own space you know, get out of that very tunneled vision of what your research is towards the bigger picture. Exactly. Hey man, I I feel like we're like (laughs) preaching to the choir here to each other, but, (laughs) but it's an interesting conversation. And I think Mm -hmm. it's one that, like I said, I wonder, I wonder what the numbers are of if you were to poll scientists, how many would agree? Because I tend to think Mm -hmm. that, a lot of pe- a lot of will just in my own like anecdotal evidence my personal yeah. like i was just um with giving a workshop on podcasting science communication cool. to a grad school um from the university of marburg here in here in germany and the feedback i got was positive and yeah. from a lot of the the leaders of the lab they were we ended up having a discussion you know not quite like this but over dinner of mm-hmm. what do we do how why are we you know that nobody basically nobody came away being like why the hell should i care why am i doing this yeah. i've only heard that one time in in my discussions of science yeah. communication with scientists i've heard that one time maybe yeah. a couple times where people are like eh, it's a lot of work and we're not getting paid for it but then if you change the incentive structure people would learn to do yeah. it and do it so i think that overall like a lot of scientists, especially younger ones, are probably really into it. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of self-selecting, right? The people that will be like, "Whoa, cool, podcasting!" They're gonna be into it. Yeah, that's right. The, the, I've already attracted a, yeah. a biased sample to my group. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's like, I, so I used to work at York University in knowledge mobilization, and um, one of the things that basically like the the idea of knowledge mobilization is how do you get this knowledge to users who are not scientists right and the simplest way this is like a a hard seg seg uh but like the simplest way i think for scientists to make basically to get more sight to actually no i'll ask you i'm not going to tell you i'm going to okay. make you guess that. um so what do you think is the simplest way for scientists simplest is that a word it doesn't yeah, feel it should right. be yeah should it is, be right so uh for scientists to increase their citation counts and for them to put their research out there and at a targeted audience that is looking for that knowledge that is outside uh, academia. Hmm. So when you say increase your citation counts, you mean, well, I mean, that's going to be scientists, but you want the knowledge to reach not just scientists, people that need the knowledge outside of academia. Yeah. So there's like the best way to do that. There is one action that, and it's, this is scientifically validated too, which is pretty cool. 
So there's one thing that's the one thing that scientists can do yeah, 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 to yeah. increase their, their citation counts as well as make that knowledge accessible for people who, is, who are looking for that knowledge that they produced. And, is it? And, and on top of that, control, this is like really wild, but control the global scientific vocabulary. Hmm. Shit, man. Is it like Twitter or something? <laughs> That's no, the only thing I could think of that like would like reach targeted audiences and then like multiple audiences and stuff like this. I don't know, dude. What is it? Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Wow. So if you they they did this study I think last year or two years ago where they put um, this information about some molecule on Wikipedia. And they took, they saw what happened about the article to the articles that were cited in that, that right. Wikipedia article, and they it received more citations. But not only that, but the content in that article was being used in university curriculums around the world. Wow! And so they use a specific word that, like, there were two words to refer to the same kind of notion. Right, right, right. And the specific word that they used was found more often than the other word. Crazy. Yeah. But you know what? That makes perfect sense. It, like, it's it makes perfect so obvious. Sense. Yeah, it's very obvious because, you know, j- again, just in my experience, it was like we were always told in when I when I started learning science communication stuff, mm-hmm. and when I and when I was doing like hard science graduate work. Basically, the message was always start with Wikipedia yeah. and go from there. You yeah. always heard like growing up, well, you can't cite Wikipedia. You can't cite Wikipedia. But it was like, but go there first. Yeah. Get a bunch of ideas and yeah. then follow those threads. Yeah, man. Makes perfect and, sense. And like I have, so I, I've worked on this a fair bit on, on my website, drsimonlandry.com. Nice. Um, there, there is, um, I wrote like this step-by-step thing of how to, to include articles on Wikipedia. Like mm-hmm. if somebody's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I don't know where to start. Just go hit me up on Twitter at, at Dr. Simon Landry or go on my website. Um, but it's like really super, it's super simple and it's just these steps. But the coolest thing about Wikipedia also is that you can see the amount of traffic that certain pages receive. Okay. So you can actually measure like the impact. Right. And this is like, this is getting a little Cambridge Analytica-ish. But <laughs> if you know, so let's say we're working on, I don't know, on a topic. And we're working on it in, in Canada. And we know that there's like a huge uh, center for this topic in Germany. Right. We could create a Wikipedia article in German on that topic that cites us. Right. And so in that center, they would start with our articles. Right. So you're like control it. You can control knowledge in like this way that's helpful and everybody wins. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I guess you could always say that there might be a bad actor out there that would hinge on that. But so with the Wikipedia thing, this is just something that, that jumped into my head. 
um, maybe because it's less, you know, corruptible, let's say, because it's decentralized. Do you think that's one of the big bonuses of it? Or do you think that, like, how much does that, how important is that, that Wikipedia is, you know, refereed by everybody? I think it makes it transparent and just like, I don't know. I think it's good. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I generally like I fall out on the, on the same way, Yeah, but it's one of those things that it's like, is it sustainable? Is it, I mean, it seems to be working pretty good so far. They're doing all right. Yeah. So maybe <laughs> um, we should all like, you know, when you get the, when you're, when you're inevitably cruising Wikipedia and they ask you for some donations, maybe <laughs> throw a couple more bucks their way, you know, <laughs> Yeah, or a volunteer to be a moderator. Like, I haven't done it, but maybe I should. Apparently that's intense. The The Wikipedia moderator scene is is pretty uh, fiery, I hear. Oh, I bet it attracts a bunch of people <laughs> that, you know, we t- with some of yeah. the skills that we were talking about that are good <laughs> it, and bad. It's yeah. either a scientist or a Wikipedia moderator. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and like, the so the the frustrating thing about about this, that makes total sense, like, adding stuff to Wikipedia, so yeah. obvious and so effective also, right. is that when I pitched this to, to to researchers, to profs when I was working at York, the majority, well, I got two responses. One was Wikipedia, like that's not an authority, like it's sketchy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other one, why, like, why would I do that? Who cares? Yeah. But literally everybody who is looking for information on anything in the world will end up on wikipedia yeah that's true that is true and it's in all the it's in how many languages right like it's not because that's the other thing is so much of science is done in english right exactly exactly you democratize knowledge um for free like it's not behind paywalls Mm -hmm. it's it's just like it's it's the sort of thing that U of T or like a MIT or somebody, some big school is going to clue in that their research centers need to have Wikipedia pages and then everybody's going to talk about it. Right. And they're going to be like, wow, this is so cool and innovative. And it's like, yeah. no, man, just think about it for a minute and you would have yeah. come to that conclusion. <laughs> it's true, so. but it's like you asked me the question and I missed it. Like I was, yeah. you know, so, but it's true. It's absolutely yeah. true. And I know like, Basically, everybody I know, you know, maybe this speaks to the type of people that I hang out with, but like we'll get lost on Wikipedia. You know, you start clicking on one thing, you start clicking on another. Like when Wikipedia came out, I remember spending, you know, countless hours just like, you know, and now now the analogy, too, is like everyone talks about falling down the YouTube wormhole. Right. Yeah. yeah. But Wikipedia was the same thing with the links. And it's like, oh, well, I'm reading about this and now just click on that and go into this and go into that. So do you, has anyone looked at YouTube in terms of it? I mean, Wikipedia is way easier because it's written. Yeah. You don't need video production or anything like that. But I imagine YouTube would would, would at least start to have the same reach. Um, I think the advantage with Wikipedia is that you can have your, your articles just right there. Oh, right. Yeah, like your yeah. citations, your actual yeah. Yeah, research your actual, papers. Exactly. Right. Your actual research papers... Um, it fits within a larger context. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. And, and you're just at the top of Google, honestly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And like YouTube, like, yeah, it's someone talking. 
mm-hmm. video, like people still, this is something that I learned attending one of the Association of British Science Writers uh, me- uh, meetings. Very cool. Was, yeah, they're, um, they had done, I, I, don't, I don't remember where the research came from, but there was research on it. Because everyone's always talking about like print is dead, print is dead, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like, actually, you know, people looking for knowledge, people looking for this stuff generally still consume print rather than video because you can skim, you can yeah. go to the parts you need, like you're very, you're very much able to, whereas a video, you got to wait for 10 minutes until the guy yeah. says it or he or she says it. And then you, or you got to go back and be like, oh, well, I skipped too far ahead. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's not a searchable sort of medium, right? Yeah. So, yeah, Wikipedia makes sense. So, I mean, I guess if, like, researchers are listening to this, that should be, like, the biggest take-home message of this podcast is you had to learn that your hand was your hand. Whoa, (laughs) dude. And get on Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's just one of those things that, like, there's a lot of talk about knowledge mobilization and all that stuff. But, like, science communication, whatever, all this stuff, yeah. But man, Wikipedia, like, it's just the more you think about it, the more obvious. And also it, it increases your citation counts. Among like scientists. An, yeah, yeah, yeah. Among yeah. scientists. It gives you the one unit of currency that scientists are looking for, citations. <laughs> this is, I, I don't think there's, there are any other scientifically validated methods to increase your, your citation count. Right. And this is it. And Dude, it also wild. is beneficial to the world yeah to hit both audiences i love the idea that there's like because you know we were talking before about like how it's like it's become this separation the ivory tower and then the the peasant public down below or whatever you know but it's like now it's like that's the meeting ground that's the common space there where both of these people and maybe the scientists don't want to admit it and be like yeah but i go to wikipedia first yeah. too right like yeah where, where does it come yeah well admit it because that it is that's the meeting ground and maybe that's you know everyone's to, yeah talk yeah no that's it it's so simple but it blew my mind yeah yeah <laughs> yeah right on so uh, do you what do you let's what are your current projects now because you're you you finished the phd yeah Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then you moved on. So you were working at York knowledge mobilization. So you yeah. kind of jumped into this science communication knowledge mobilization world, much like yeah. I did. So yeah. what uh, was it just, what was your experience and what are you up to now? Like what made you make the switch and yeah. what sorts of projects? I know you got a ton of projects on the yeah. go. So you may, you... you may have heard of one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you definitely have heard of one if you're listening it's, to this. It's uh, posters on t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I got a few, I got a couple of things I want to talk to you about, about what, what's the limit of what you can put on one of these posters? Does it have to be a research paper or? It can or be re- your face. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I might it have can, to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, I guess the like, the, the story is I, so I, I finished uh, my PhD and then I had done a, like a lot of science communication and outreach and stuff um and i saw this so i moved to toronto uh because my partner who's a psychologist had had an internship here and i was looking for jobs and i saw this thing knowledge mobilization had no idea what it was Mm -hmm. but it seemed like making videos and kind of getting it seemed like it aligned with what i enjoyed doing 
I enjoyed and, yeah. and had been working on. And also was thinking about a lot because I, so there was this, I don't know, what's your, what's your research background? Parasitology, parasites. Okay. And is that like, does that, do you test humans at all? No, it was, I was parasites. working in the veterinarian, more okay. on the veterinarian side. So with animal parasites, but it was, okay. you know, we were working with how they specifically mine, like this parasite that I studied, we believe it came from Europe. So we were looking at the DNA and okay. how it got across. And then it's got this really freaky life cycle that takes control of ants and stuff. So a lot of Ooh. stuff there. This could be a whole nother thing. We won't go down, but I bet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so during my grad studies, one of the things that happened was I was working with cochlear implant users. Right. And maybe my first year of master's, I gave a presentation to a bunch of, of parents of cochlear implant uh, kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a clinician. So I didn't like relate with their experience. Right. And so I gave my talk and I recognized that I was unable to like empathize with their situation. Okay. Yeah. And like what I was doing, I, I kind of, I felt inadequate in some ways. And I felt like the knowledge that I felt I had was not what they were looking for. Right. And that made me feel super insecure and it kind of made me pull away from kind of that, from the knowledge mobilization aspect of my research. And I, from then I kind of really thought of it more in an abstract way, like what I was doing, which I think is what a lot of scientists do when you're confronted with like, how, how does this apply to the real world? And you see, I don't know if you're studying cancer or whatever, you meet somebody who is, has cancer and they're like, wow, I really appreciate that you're doing this work because it will help me personally. And you're like, well, I'm like studying this like mitochondrial whatever pathway or some shit pathway yeah, yeah. that might help you out in like 20 years, but like I'm not there. And then you kind of pull back and you're, you get and you just look at the cell as opposed to the person. And at the end of my PhD, I was really thinking back on like how far I was from the people mm -hmm. that like the people that honestly cared about what I was doing. Yeah. Right. And so I thought this job in knowledge mobilization was like, cool. This is a position where the purpose is to make research relevant to the public. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is that it's not like research funding um, is a bureaucracy. And at the end of the day, it's like, does it serve the research? And a lot of what I wanted to do didn't serve the research. Um, and so unfortunately that position didn't work out. Um, and I, you know, got laid off. Yeah. Uh, they, they actually shut the position that I was hired on uh they they terminated it yeah because i i think they just didn't know what to do yeah. like with with knowledge mobilization in fundamental sciences right and they maybe um, weren't seeing the returns the big some big pointer yeah. of like this is working you know? yeah well it's the sort of thing where it takes years right like yeah yeah if, yeah. if you're gonna 
if you're going to commercialize something, so like knowledge mobilization for, for fundamental sciences is the equivalent, is like commercialization, but without the goal of making money. Mm-hmm. So whereas if you are like an engineering prof and you have some like innovation of some sort, you would make a business and it's like, it's very tangible and eventually you sell your widget and whatever you patent it and all that. But if what you study is, um, the effect of concussions on, on, um, teenage girls hand coordination, mm-hmm. let's say. And then you have this body of work that looks at concussions and all that in this population the product of that, you're not going to be able to like sell a widget, but you could influence um, like policy. Right. That if you have a rugby team and there are concussions, you could do this test or you should this and that. Right. And it's like, it's a long process, right? Because you're involved with like stakeholders and policymakers and and like parent groups and sports groups and everybody. And it's like, it's hard and it's dirty and it, it doesn't get to the widget that has yeah. an intellectual property patent and costs X amounts yeah. per widget. And yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And honestly, it requires like a lot of creativity to be like this fundamental research of visual perception in older adults and color contrast, who cares about this and how can we, get it to them Mm -hmm. and it's like oh maybe it's like it's nursing homes that paint their walls it's better if they paint it a certain color as long as the floor is a certain color then it helps you stay upright as a as a senior yeah you know like there are all these things that like are really long-term applications of knowledge right that aren't that don't exist in the way that scientists think of fundamental research mm-hmm. because they think like, no, we just care about how the aging brain perceives color differentials or right. whatever. And so anyway, all that to say that I was like trying to push stuff that I don't know they didn't see the value in it, I guess, or for whatever reason they were like, nah, this isn't really working out for us. Um, and then after that, I taught a couple of classes, which was, have you taught? classes yeah very little i ta'd a couple labs and stuff like that but i always enjoyed it i really enjoyed it yeah so much fun yeah um and then after that i started doing um knowledge knowledge brokering so like knowledge same same idea getting academic research to the public Mm -hmm. at the center for addiction and mental health uh here in toronto Mm -hmm. so yeah and and it's like, it's interesting, man. It's really, it's the idea that we produce so much knowledge and that can benefit so many people, but like we're, the, that like knowledge production pipeline is so stacked towards the production and and it's like barely, it's basically non-existent towards the, the dissemination and like mm-hmm. selling this knowledge mm-hmm. is wild. If you think about it, yeah, because yeah, we're, yeah. we're paying for a bunch of stuff that is only being used by the people who make that thing. And it's not the person who funds the person who buys that knowledge never is told why they're, they're buying it or how it benefits them. Right. And I think that's, it's complete. It's, I mean, it's, it's completely unacceptable and it's gonna, it's gonna, it will 
I guarantee you it will come and bite science's ass. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, guaranteed. Yeah, guaranteed. You heard it here first. Yeah. And, no, you mean, and here's... Do you mean in ways like, you know, like with reduced funding, like people, yeah. governments, it will, it, it will become less and less of a priority? Yeah, I, I think it's 100%. Like, if you, I don't know if you follow uh, Canadian science policy too closely no not yeah. not not, no. not super close <laughs> <laughs> um so in 2000 i don't know like 15 or 16 there was the nailer report so it was this report um looking at fundamental sciences in canada mm-hmm. like research funding and all that and it said we're here's kind of the state of canadian fundamental research here's what we have to do uh, we need to increase funding. We need to do this and that. And when that came out before the 2015 Canadian elections, there was a big push by scientists led by grad students um, for like support the report. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, let's bring, let's like share the this report and the importance of the report with the public mm-hmm. so that they vote sort of with science in mind. Mm-hmm. And now, Canada, we've got our elections in two thousand in October. Right. And there's another movement for I forget what it is, but like there's another scientist led led movement. But like this is this is so this is what fucking drives me nuts about scientists <laughs> is that like we only and I've done this too we only do outreach to the public when it serves us. Right. Like scientists are like, oh shit, right now we need to tell people that they should vote for somebody that gives us money. So let's, let's do a big push and let's get people Mm -hmm. like funding our lives basically. But for like three years, you're stuck in the lab and you're like, no, I'm not going to publish my shit to Wikipedia. No, I'm not going to talk to that science journalist. Oh, you're Instagramming science. You're not a real scientist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... It's got to be an everyday thing. It's got to be exactly. an everyday part of the process, a part of what you do. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's like it's going to come back and bite us in the ass. You know, so like universities um when so when I worked staff at at York I got a, a different view of how it works. Mm-hmm. Like I always thought university was a place of knowledge and research and like that's kind of the main focus. Yeah. But man, universities are just businesses. Right. And you are, as a scientist, you are the product. Right. You are what they're selling. And so, like, what I realized, and this just completely changed my, my understanding of universities, but, like, for a university, it's so much, it's a better use of resource investment for them to try to court one donor a wealthy donor who will give them a million dollars than to get 10,000 students. Hmm. Right? Okay, yeah. And so, like, if the idea is just to get money in because you've got a huge operation, then, like, you want the, what's it called? Um, Whatever the, the donations wing of the university is, they... They like they don't control what 
where research goes, but like they have a lot of power because at the end of the day, everybody wants to keep their jobs. Everybody wants that million dollar coming in. Everybody wants income to the university. And like when you've got funding from the, I'm getting, I know that I'm I'm starting to make no sense. I'm kind of like (laughs) ranting. I've got my wires on the board. Yeah, no worries, Um, dude. No worries. This connection, look at this. (laughs) Um, I guess all I'm getting at is that universities are huge machines and huge corporations in which researchers work. Mm -hmm. And universities then sell the work of researchers as knowledge and they don't give a shit whether it's they only give a shit about the knowledge being applied to the public if it's a metric that is measured and that is beneficial to them right so and that being like donation dollars or whatever it is yeah yeah Yeah. so like if if i can if you're a a millionaire which i understand you are um, (laughs) who told you (laughs) Yeah, the podcast um, business is lucrative. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so, like, if you're a millionaire and you're interested in, I don't know, research in in like music or whatever. Yeah. And I tell you, oh yeah, we've got this great researcher, this great musician researcher, and they um, have impact. Look, they've been published in these newspapers but also or in these journals articles as well as they've influenced policy in whatever way Mm -hmm. that's like impressive and that's good for the university because it it will like incentivize a donor to make that donation but until unless there's a value for like the university to look at those metrics then nobody gives a shit right and it's like this notion of impact. So like if you have research and you want research to have impact, no one can define what impact means. Right. You can try it. We can try it right now. What does it mean for research to have impact well, in a measurable way? To me, though, that like it's it's undefinable because it's a it's a shifting thing. Right. Like for like take for, it, it depends on the audience. Right. Like for the guy with a million dollars that loves music or, you know, that's going to be one thing. But for the parents of kids with cochlear implants, it's going to be a, a whole nother thing. Right. So that's probably more what it is, is that it why it's so undefinable. But I would say impact. Yeah. Eyes on the eyes on articles like like what reads clicks on articles citations yeah Yeah, what is it i don't know donations i guess is the metric that universities are using or money coming in is the metric yeah which doesn't serve a large part of the population but yeah and that's that would be a different thing like i'm talking about if you publish if you're a pi Mm -hmm. and you have a body of research how and there are two researchers in front of me how do I know, how can I compare the researcher's impact, the, the impact of their research? Right. Uh, I'm thinking you would have to look at what, like all the different mediums, I guess, that they've been published in. So scientific journals, newspaper articles, TV interviews, uh, 
like Google it, it, citations. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And like, is that, so is that even impact? Like is, is a journal not really, I mean, a lot of journals aren't cited. Yeah. Um, newspapers, like how do I, what's the value how, of being mentioned yeah. in, a, in a newspaper piece? Yeah. yeah. But the interesting thing with this is that what we're talking about, if I tell you I've got, um, I'm selling Pepsi mm-hmm. and I'm going to put out, like, what is the impact of Pepsi in North America? Pepsi could probably tell you all these <laughs> metrics. Yeah. They, they almost certainly have departments that would be like, oh, yeah, we've got, like, it's been seen by this many people. It's yeah. got like this reach. It's got, and once you and they shift, have sales numbers behind that, and they have sales exactly. They'll be like, "Hey, this is exactly what we are getting. Like, this is what people are seeing, and this is exactly what we're getting back from it." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you shift the idea of like knowledge as like this thing that academics create and kind of incestuously consume Mm -hmm. to knowledge as a product, like the way that Pepsi or literally anything else Mm -hmm. is a product, then you can apply these like marketing metrics Mm -hmm. to knowledge, stuff that like academia will never match the marketing budget of Apple, like ever in a year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have these techniques and methods and metrics that like could measure so many things and we just need to get outside of our little bubbles where like we think things are pure and and driven by the quest for truth mm-hmm. and be like, yo, what how does Beats know how did Apple know to pay Dr. Dre a billion dollars for Beats headphones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the knowledge is out there right and it's just it's so really it just takes effort and a bit of thought into well you know how do we measure this and what is the ultimate goal who is the audience and what is the goal yeah because i think like like i said like you know the audiences are going to be varied like saying just like research in general like what you know what there's so many nuanced things and not all of your a university's research will apply to a certain audience, right? Like not everyone's yeah. going to give a shit about the same research. Yeah. And I think that you could probably though, like it's inspiring, like what you're saying, like it's, it makes sense. And it's like, you know, it, like some of the other things you said today, it's like, it's not that, um, it's not that hard. Like it's a simple concept, you know, it's yeah. a simple idea. There's going to, it's going to take some effort to, to implement yeah but it's just a little slight shift in the way you're thinking about it. And mm-hmm. it, could have, it could have a big impact. And I think that there is probably grounds, like there's a seed already planted <clears throat> in the public, you know, using the term yeah. the public as being just not academics, because we already, people have already accepted that they fund research. Like it doesn't, yeah. you know, the funding levels go up and down based on the governments and stuff, and people might yeah. not be aware of it, but generally, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. people just sort of are like, yeah, we need research, you know, and the big, yeah. the big things, um, you know, that impact them, cancer, you know, when, when yeah. a university comes up with a new insulin, they'll see those things and be like, but maybe they don't understand this whole idea of like, that it's all beneficial. It's all working yeah. for you, even if it's not touching your life specifically, 
it's there. And so you probably have a seed to work with already in terms of marketing it or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Well, like sci- that's the thing. Science is like cool. People sa- spend their lifetimes looking at stuff. It's like if you can make a memorable commercial about bears wiping their butts <laughs> with, <laughs> with toilet paper. I know paper. exactly what you're talking like, about. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's it's Charmin yeah. or whatever. Is this your, your other sponsor, Charmin well, Toilet Shit, paper? Pepsi and Charmin better get on board because we're just giving them free ads here. <laughs> um, yeah, like if you can advertise these really boring products, like why couldn't you advertise something that someone spends their life looking mm-hmm. at and there are cool pictures of and it's like yeah. interesting and it's fundamentally it's, like amazing like it really is yeah. like the idea that you know there's somebody out there that's you know yeah pick anything you know even if it's like this minute thing within the cell but like when you think about it and if you if yeah. the story gets told to you in the right way yes. you're going to be like oh shit, like that's going on in my body right now. That's incredible. Right. That's amazing. Like think about microbiome right. stuff. That's pretty hot right now. And I mean, it's getting sold in like a shitty way because a lot of people are, you you know, not thinking about the science and selling products yeah. based on it. But, and that's a whole nother discussion. But there's a lot of cool, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And again, maybe we're preaching to the choir. Maybe we get somebody, you know, from a totally different background that's never thought about it and see if you can still reach them. But that's like market research. Do some market yeah. research, do some focus groups, you yeah. know, put some in- and, investment in it. And the thing is the market research is science. Yeah. Like all of these things are just science just instead. And I think the difference is instead of starting with the money, marketing ends with the money. Mm-hmm. And so like, because those are fundamentally incompatible models, people like don't think that you can do like marketing and sales with science because that's just not the way science works. Yeah. 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 It's not, well, yeah. For all the reasons that we've just been talking about for like the past hour. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you get no arguments from me. That's for sure. (laughs) That's for sure. As someone that, yeah. that works in this in this business, as you are too, but in the biz, in the biz, yeah. But I'm curious, yeah, I'm curious to see how it changes, and you know, if people get on board with it, because, like I said, I do feel like from you know scientists that I engaged with during my time in grad school and stuff, mm-hmm. I think they do see the value of it. Um, yeah. But it was something that was always because they weren't getting paid for it, because it was like an extra thing. It's like you said, yeah. they only did it when it benefited them or when they were forced to do it. When the university was yeah. like, you have to have X amount of dollar or X amount of time or X amount of things, you know, and yeah. some grant, like I know some grants, I've talked to researchers, some grants now that's part of the, the application process is you have to put in what you're going to do to like, but there's no real thought into what that is. Yeah. They just say, do communication. Exactly. You have to do it. It's just a box you got to tick. And exactly. there's no real thought into it. There's not a lot of creativity into it. And from the university side, there's probably like less, you know, maybe there's a small PR department or something like that. But they're probably operating with in the dark, basically, with no knowledge yeah. of like what works, what doesn't work. You know, are, are yeah. we 
wasting our money here or how do we measure the return on investment like all this kind of stuff yeah so it also seems like it's it's like a you know in that sense it's very the opportunity to change the game and be the first one on the next trend is there it's hard man that's like that is a i it's it is there but science is just such a machine mm-hmm. that i i don't know how you how you do it honestly yeah. well hey i don't like, think we were ever claiming to to give the answers here folks <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but like it, it's a really interesting question of like if you know kind of like why is it that academia hasn't had a me too movement mm. like there's just something really clunky and outdated about academia that like you if you're tenured you're not going anywhere yeah, you're untouchable like, basically you're untouchable and that model i think is preventing progress yeah i mean i'm sure we'd get tons of pushback from some tenured profs being like well i you know i couldn't without the freedom of knowing that you know my job is secure I wouldn't be able to follow all the strands that maybe aren't so productive but are necessary for the scientific process, right? But then it seems to me that there's like a balance, right? There's got to be a balance. Exactly. And if some of the ideas and thoughts, like if the marketing was better, like some of the ideas and thoughts that we were talking about, and if the marketing is better so that everybody just kind of understands that there's value here, it doesn't, it's not going to come in a, that product life, life, life cycle that you described with the widget it's not how it works that's yeah. not the model we're working yeah. on then there's more latitude for people to yeah. to operate but i don't know yeah it's fascinating dude um it's a great conversation i mean we've going for like an hour and a half now so we can begin to wrap it up but i think you should uh let people know all the other activities that you're doing because you got a bunch right <laughs> yeah yeah so uh in terms of um, what pays the bills? <laughs> Chem H. Uh, Chem, shout out to Chem H paying the yeah. bills. Um, but in terms of like other projects, uh, so you may have heard yeah. of Feather Poster. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so it's like fabric, um, fabric conference posters, which, as an aside, super hard to sell. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why people aren't like. And that's a skill that I wish I'd learned during grad school, how to sell stuff, yeah. because selling is hard, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So if you're listening to this, I hope you'll buy yeah, one. Check it out. <laughs> Consider yeah, it. Check it out. At, Come on. At least think yeah. about it. Um, <laughs> that's probably a terrible sell job. I'm not very good at selling <laughs> things either, man, so I apologize. Yeah, <laughs> think about it, maybe. Um, so I got that. I got, um, I'm playing, do you have an Alexa? I do, yeah. My wife bought it. I'm wary of it. I'm, I'm always oh, yeah. like, do I want this thing listening and knowing all my shit? I don't know. You should be. You should be wary. <laughs> um, so I, I'm developing Alexa skills. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's super simple, and uh, and it's actually a really interesting way to um, to share knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so I have this skill called poop detective. Poop detective. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so if you have an Alexa, just say, uh, Alexa, open Poop Detective. I, ho- I really hope that somebody's listening to this on a speaker and their Alexa just opened it right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Um, yeah, so Poop Detective is is basically like, um, you may have seen that image 
where it's like different colors of poop with different textures and it's like if your poop is this yeah, color it means the, the same thing. the stool chart, I, yeah. Yeah. So I made that into an interactive uh, thing <laughs> and it's super popular. Like I have like 20,000 weekly users. <laughs> it's really You're about popular. to get another one, let me tell you, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, the so the interesting thing about that in terms of science and like what we're talking about is that it is Alexas are a really interesting way to collect population data. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's so, what so, Google's doing all yeah, the time. Yeah. And so, like, I probably, and I don't track the, the data, but I could have more information about people's poop than probably anybody in the world <laughs> because of this dumb skill that I made. And, like, and, and the skill is itself um, a knowledge mobilization project right. because it's based on research. And it's like, that's kind of the type of creative outlets of research that I wish people were doing, yeah. being like, oh, cool, how, how can I make, how can I use the latest tech and the thing that people are on to share my research? So I'm doing that, and I also have another Alexa-related uh, thing. It's like a big, it's like um, a database. It's like a marketplace intelligence thing for, uh, for that, and just doing, doing some podcasts in French, podcast workshops and yeah. stuff, so... Just keep it busy, man. Right on. I mean, so like people, you, you say the website that you've, you've got once, because everything you're doing is on the website, right? On yeah. your website. Yeah. So DrSimonLandry.com. Right, and I mean, I'll link to it in all our stuff too. Yeah, so cool. It's Thanks. All good. Appreciate it. Um, and yeah, check out FeatherPoster.com. But I mean, this is... What's, um, the, what's the coupon code? What's oh yeah, 2Brad. T-W-O-B-R-A-D. One word. There you go. Save some money. Yeah. Well, yeah. Help us out. Help us out. <laughs> it's really desperate sounding uh, pitch. <laughs> Just try it. Just yeah. think about it at least. <laughs> anyway, man, great talking to you. I'm glad that we yeah, connected. I'm glad that you reached out. I'm really glad that we did this, and I think we should do this yeah, again yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah. Because um, uh, I, yeah, I enjoyed the conversation. I think other people will too. We can do, you know, maybe we'll do some where we, we get more into like actual science and less about the business yeah, of yeah. it, but. I, I think it's a valid conversation to have both. So it's all science, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, dude. So thanks a lot, and yeah, we'll yeah, uh, we'll talk me. to the listeners again next time. All right, cool. Thanks, Brad. And there you have it. Once again, thank you to Simon. I had such a blast talking to him. We could have gone on for hours and hours, and I assume and hope that we will do that again. Um, the next step of these In Conversation episodes is to get a uh, little three-way action going on and get uh, British Brad in here too, um, and so we can expand the discussion. So we will work on getting that. Stay tuned. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at uh, 2 brad for you or Instagram, at 2 brad for you Follow me on Twitter at bvampiridon um, to stay up to date. Uh, subscribe uh, wherever you're getting your podcast. Please subscribe. Throw us a rating. That always helps. Um, and I have a number of really cool um, episodes coming up. Got another... Excuse me. I am feeling terrible. I have a cold right now. Uh, we have a number of great conversations uh, coming up, scheduled, recorded. Um, and I also recently visited a excellent conference on uh, research into psychedelics for therapeutical reasons and 
other uh, topics all around psychedelic research. I did a number of great interviews there, which I'm going to compile into a episode. So stay tuned for all of that. It's coming up. Thank you again for listening. Go to featherposter.com for your poster needs. Use the promo code 2BRAD. Check out the Freak Motif. Um, if you're around and have a chance, just Google them. Check out their stuff. Really great. SebastianAboud.com. If you're looking for a super fun artist, uh, he's doing shows I know in Nanaimo uh, in, the, in and around this time, October or September rather. Um, and just check out his website, SebastianAboud.com. Get in touch if you need some logo work done or something like that. He is great as well. That's it. I'm rambling. I feel like crap. I'm going to take some NyQuil and pass out. So thank you once again to Simon. And thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.